Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Better Pleasure Podcast. And this is going to be episode number 150, which is cool. So we've rocked 150 of these. And my name is Bo Ouellette, and I am the actual uh, founder of Running Light Ministries and have done this ministry for a long period of time. I'm here with an, a friend that's been my friend for a long period of time, Adrian Van Vactor. And you're probably going to see Adrian a little more on these podcasts, <laughs> which is awesome. Our brother Peter, who's been kind of my if you will, uh, kind of Robin for years, um, you know, he's going to be starting a church. And so that's going to take up a lot of his time. And so, you know, I kind of need another person you know, <laughs> to kind of be in with me. And Adrian, I know your heart is for this ministry as well. It's still trippy to hear that Peter's going to go start a church. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's going to go start a church. You know, I've been around long enough now uh, that I'm kind of used to the idea of people you know, going out and uh, doing different things. You know, I think with Peter, because we've worked so close over the years, mm. it's a lot tougher, you know, for me emotionally, probably, mm. um, you know, just because there's been a lot of awesome seasons that we've had in the ministry. Um, and you always want things to remain the same, but they don't, you know, things change and other people get raised up and different things happen. Mm. And, and that's fine. Um, he's still very much a part of Running Light Ministries. And and but you know starting a church just does take some time so um but anyway thanks for being with me yeah. and joining me on the 150th episode um we're gonna actually do a little bit of a, a reading of the bible today and these these podcasts are really based off of love lust and life kind of mm. if you want to just summarize them but we love looking at whether it's world um views or uh, current cultural kind of paradigms um, in light of biblical truths. And I, I find one of the passages that's so interesting in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a really cool one um, for many reasons. Um, uh, I think because of its directness, it's one of the more direct passages we find in the New Testament um, uh, on this subject, just so boldly kind of declaring something. Um, and what, and really, it's about the will of God, which I, uh, so let me read it. It says, um, finally, brothers, we instruct you how to live in, accord, in, in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you to, and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So Paul the Apostle talks about the authority of the Lord Jesus, that this is something that is actually uh, you get the idea that it's actually something that was taught by Jesus, that this is not something new, it's not something Paul, you know, it's funny, huh? Like in the Christian life, you get these like commentaries that are uh, almost like secular commentaries on Paul. And I've read some of them. Uh, I have one of them on my Kindle that's this lady who's not a believer at all, but she writes about Paul the Apostle. And, uh, but I love it. It's almost like Paul, you know, in his misogynistic views. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's like a, like a secular reconstruct or deconstruction of the Apostle Paul. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But it, it, it's always using current culture terminology, you know, and, and saying, you know, showing that Paul really, you know, was against women or, uh, you know, you know, those kind of ideas, mm. you know. Uh, but it's interesting because 
I, I think if you got with Paul and you said, hey, Paul, you know, like, you know, you're teaching something about sexual sexuality, you know, like, is that your thoughts on it? Paul would say, well, no, this is something that Jesus taught me. And so I find that kind of neat about the passage right off the bat, mm. you know, um, that's kind of cool. I mean, you know, think of your life, Adrian, like, you know, where did you get your ideas of sex and sexuality from? I mean, it probably wasn't Jesus. <laughs> Not initially, no, for sure. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was exposed to so much so young. I mean, yeah. I don't think there's, there's very little left to the imagination that I hadn't already experienced by the time I was seven. Mm -hmm. And so I had probably a very, very warped sense of what intimacy was or should be um, because of the influence of media and porn. And even though it was a little, actually quite a bit less accessible, you know, when I was little. Yeah. But I had a very dysfunctional family and a lot of abuse. So there was a lot of experimentation with, you know, steps, family and and so on and so forth. And so, Mm. um, yeah, it was actually revolutionary when I started learning what purity meant. It was through Josh McDowell, the Why Wait movement during that whole campaign that he did for several years. Yeah, that was 20 plus, right? Yeah, it was in, I came across it and I don't know if I just had these tapes and was listening post the movement, but his Why Wait movement was pretty huge. And I remember being a brand new believer and I was about 20 years old, 19, 20. And just blown away. I just felt so dirty and just as a, not just because I, I didn't have a lot of experience, just because I was I was a lost person and just thinking, wow, God has like this amazing plan for our bodies that I did not know was like there was a way we ought to function. There's an ought. Sexuality just isn't a want. It's an ought. We were created for a purpose. There is purposiveness in sexuality, not just whatever is ought to be. Yeah. That's the secular way of thinking is that whatever is happening ought to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny, like even, I don't think we can get out of this bubble too of ought the way like that, that there should be some kind of ought that we have when it comes to how we do sex or what we think about it. Because as you've mentioned so many times on uh, another podcast, is that even when you're secular and you're a materialist and a universalist and a, you know um, you know those kind of people humanist um, you know you tend to have another set of oughts mm. you know it might not be the Christian set of oughts but it is a set of oughts nonetheless you know kind of thing and so you are you you are working with some kind of presupposition and some kind of idea of right and wrong it's just not the christian right and wrong yeah and so it can get you know i know me and you grew up very similar in the sense that uh me and you grew up very secular and and in that sense it's like there was like a conscious i had like there was something in me that you know and people would say oh well that's your cultural consciousness you know, that was, mm. but I didn't really know, like, what exactly the culture's right and wrong really was. I really didn't have a good yeah. understanding of even what my culture mm. was saying, what is right and what is wrong, because it was such a, um, in L.A., it was so uh, mixed. You mm. know, you had all kinds of people with all kinds of different sexual uh, 
yeah. uh, paradigms. What was right or wrong was just what angered somebody right. in a particular situation. <laughs> right. Like, for example, <laughs> if you're kind of dating someone and you start kind of dating somebody else, they get upset and that quote-unquote might be wrong and your friends might get <laughs> mad at That's you. That's right. Well, some friends, like if mutual friends will be mad at you, but your friend, your close guy friends will be like, whoa, way to go, bro. <laughs> way to go. <laughs> kind of a- encourage you on. Yeah. It's yeah. so it, there, I didn't grow up with any conscience. There wasn't anything that was out yeah. of bounds Yeah, at all. I mean, even, and this is, you know, 80s and nothing was out of bounds. Right. Even when my father committed adultery, his response to my mom when she walked in on him was, I can't have privacy in my own home. Yeah. And I was old enough to understand what was going on. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, one of the conscious big in- about what, <laughs> you know, one of the big impacts that my mom had, uh, growing up, uh, was when her mom had cancer and when she had cancer, um, you know, of course she was dying and my mom was 14 years old and she walked in on her dad having intimacy with their maid. Mm. And, um, you know, and that was such a tragedy for my mom. Mm. She did not know how to, uh, she was a young kid, but she knew, or a young teen, but she even knew at 14 that something was wrong with that. Mm. You know, that there was something not good about what was happening. And it really affected her like her whole life. Um, uh, un- unfortunately, that was just one of those things where she just could not quite settle with, mm. you know, uh, of what her dad did. Um, but yet, you know, um, many of us get our ideas of sex and sexuality from just various things, you know, just so many different, mm. you know, things that come across our path, peer groups, um, you know, it could be things like pornography. Um, I think pornography more teaches you, I think, I think it, it's like, you know, curiosity for most young people because, um, you know, I've always said the tragedy of porn is not is not the viewing of porn, it's the distribution of porn. Mm. Um, because viewing nudity is something that, um, even biblically speaking, uh, seeing your wife naked is not something wrong, you know. So not, it's not necessarily like a bad thing to see someone nude. And We're not going to all die know. 10 years younger or anything <laughs> like that. It's not going to affect... You know our longevity or right our con it's just the the manner i should i should suppose and yeah yeah and it's you know it's just that we're not uh, you know seeing everybody have nudity seeing everybody nude mm. you know uh that that is uh you know has its effect mm. on us as human beings um seeing objectifying people to that level you know that we do i think i was fortunate to have a little bit of a God consciousness because of my grandmother being Roman Catholic and visiting her in Mexico. My my mother was born and raised in Nogales, Mexico. And so my grandmother would always take me to mass and I didn't really understand what was going on. I thought Jesus was Mexican. <laughs> just thought I was some Mexican dude. Yes, <laughs> I had <bro>. no idea. <laughs> and uh, uh, in high school, I remember having this thought that, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a God person. You know, I, I talked to God every night, and I couldn't go to sleep without sitting up and doing what my grandma taught me, even though uh-huh. it was very minimal. And when I say taught, I mean 
a few moments here and there like here's how you pray here's how you do the cross symbol on your forehead and i would do it like all the time thinking well i got to make sure i get enough crosses all scratched into me because that prayer's got to work and Mm -hmm. and i didn't know what i was praying or who i was praying to but i remember having a debate with some high school buddies about no i'm gonna wait till i get married to have sex and Mm -hmm. and they just thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world but i really believed it i really thought yeah that's that's what we're supposed to be and that's what we're supposed to do and thank goodness for that very minimal but very impactful influence because what i was exposed to prior to being you know eight nine ten years old uh was mitigated by that yeah little old grandma (laughs) yeah (laughs) talking about you know about her faith in god yeah and that that's awesome and then that written on the heart consciousness that we all right. have. Like you said, your mom probably just knew yeah. something wrong with this. Yeah. And, you know, you think about it, you grow up, if you grow up with a lot of monogamy, um, then, you know, you're being educated in a culture of monogamy. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like, even if you're secular and everybody's monogamous, mm-hmm. then you tend to think whatever's outside of monogamy is wrong. Mm-hmm. You tend to look at it and go, something's not right, you know. Even though as I got older, um, you know, from being a kid, I, I started experiencing much more fluidity uh, with people, being around people that had multiple partners. And of course, teenagers are like this. They start, you know, you start, people start having sex. People start having sex with more than one per- person. You know, people, uh, you, know, uh, you know, people by the time they're 25 now already have, you know, 10, 15 mm. partners. Um, where, you know, people are now, you know, of course, you know, different cultures, when they break out of a monogamous culture, you know, you start getting used to, you know, non-monogamy. You start going, oh, yeah, I'm not really monogamous. You know, I'm like, uh, I definitely like, uh, I'm definitely more into poly, you know, whatever that poly is, you know, Um, polyandry, polyamorous, whatever it is, you're into poly, Mm. many, you know, and, um, you know, but I think it's neat that, you know, Paul doesn't get his, uh, you know, his ethics, his sexual ethics from himself. He's not pulling it out of ha- out, of, out of a hat. He's not really getting it from his Roman culture hmm. or anything like that. He's uh, or what he's he's known as a, a highly educated Roman citizen. Um, he's getting it from Jesus, hmm. and you know, Jesus's um, ethics on sexual sexuality was really intense hmm. um I, I and i would say pretty strict <laughs> didn't you didn't even counter his own jewish culture yeah to a certain extent i mean yes you would think that there's there's the old testament teaching on sexuality what it presents but then there's also historically what people did yeah and even what we're going to read here and meditate on really is countercultural to even paul's time yeah, and I think the church and uh, the Jewish culture. So let's say, let's put it this way: the New Testament culture and the Old Testament culture, kind of have followed same patterns, where uh, you know at the beginning of both old and new, you have the ideal, and then as time goes on, things get really messy, and that's happened with Israel in the Old Testament, uh, where there is a departure from the ideal. 
and that's happened in the church too where there's a departure from the mm. ideal and so if you look at church history and catholic church history you'll even the writings of different people in the catholic church um you'll see that there's little nuances like hey this word uh you know sexual immorality there's like a it's not it's defined like it's okay to go into a prostitute but you can't go into this and you can't go into that mm. but you certainly can go into this kind of a prostitute because this kind of a prostitute is not attached to a male family or there's all these little parameters mm. you know that are, that is in church history um uh so certain things weren't seen as bad so it would be much worse to say um it would be worse in in the church mind um, to have sex with your wife f for non-procreation mm -hmm. than to go out and have a prostitute. Wow. So, and, and that was a big deal. So you could see how things start off really well, but then, mm -hmm. then things get really chaotic. You know? Would you say that when <clears throat> Moses historically permitted divorce was that same slippery slope of mm -hmm. the ideal was for this reason and then till death you part and all that, and then even within Israel, there was these slow over time compromises and less than ideal, less than holy uh, kind of uh, arrangements. Yeah, you see that in the in the Torah where there's laws to restrain, right? Uh, to s restrain kind of people just divorcing for any reason. Mm. And, um, you know, and this is kind of how Jesus goes about it, too. He kind of throws down the gauntlet to restrain mm. the act of divorce. Um, so that people just wouldn't look at Jesus's words and be like, oh, yeah, Jesus is okay with it. Mm. You know, Jesus says things that where when he does mention it, the disciples are actually quite taken back by his statements and ask him a question or actually comment. And they just say like, hey, is it even should anybody even marry? Is it, yeah, Peter is. Gosh, it sounds like I should just stay single because yeah. that's the rule. It's, that's the standard. Yeah. So that standard was super <laughs> high. So mm. it, that whatever they heard, you know, we can debate what Jesus says, yeah. but whatever they heard, it was so intense mm. in their minds as Jews that they went, it is better to not marry. Wow. That's how intense Jesus mm. spoke. So obviously whatever Jesus said and however you want to interpret it, you're going to have to interpret it in a way yeah. that's pretty radical. Well, there's a, there's a <laughs> wide range. I mean, you've got the betrothal view. You've <laughs> yeah, got the yeah, 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 yeah. And, and one of these podcasts, maybe we'll just That'd get into fun. some of that yeah. and, and kick it around. I have my own views on that mm. passage on what's called the exception clause yeah. of Matthew. But um, that's for sure. And um, But anyway... It's neat. Paul says this, that he learned from Jesus, and he said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. So a lot of people have questions on God's will. You know, what is God's will for my sexuality? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's such a cool question, I think, huh? Yeah. Like, what is God's will for my sexuality? Mm. Uh, I mean, just that and question. And it's not a complicated answer. It's actually quite simple. <laughs> I know. It's not easy, but it's simple to wrap your mind around yeah yeah and it's i think just getting a, a willingness to ask the question though is mm. a big one you know just what is god's will for my sexuality um you know being willing to go that direction because um, you know what we usually do is what is my will right for my sexuality and that's kind of how we normally go about yeah. it. And that's usually predicated by what do I desire? Right. 
what do I like? How do you know you're gay? Oh, you have a desire. Mm-hmm. Oh, how do you know you're heterosexual? Oh, you have a desire. How do you know you're bi? Oh, you have a desire. How do you know you're transgender? Oh, you kind of have a desire. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's based on this. Yeah. It's funny if you listen to the experts on, um, you know, the internet. It's hilarious because yeah. they all you say the same thing. It's just based on, hey, go to porn and mm-hmm. check out what you like, mm-hmm. and that's what you are. It's like when I go to South Asia, you know, the, the, the cuisines are so particular because of people's religious views. You know, it's always, are you a pork person, a beef person, or a vegetarian person? Go to you the know? buffet. Because, <laughs> you know, some people can't touch pork, but yes, beef, great. And then in other circles, beef is like forbidden. Yeah. But pork is no problem. And, and then there's vegetarian for everybody else. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, I, and I think of it like a buffet, like food a lot. Uh, Mary uh, Eberstadt uh, compares pornography and, and food, too, in her book. Uh, it's called uh, The Pill um, <laughs> After Adam and Eve or something like that. Oh, it's wow. really cool. But um, she's a neat writer. But, um, yeah, when you look at food, if you go to like a Vegas buffet, Right. And it's got everything there. There's some people that just stick to like the same deal. Just meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. <laughs> they just go and they just say, hey, can I get a slice of this and potatoes and ma- mashed potatoes? And they're good. And that's what they do every time. And 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 but then there's other people that kind of are, are a variety type of person. Mm. You know, they go, oh, I've never tried that before. I'm going to go over there. And Oh, you know, and then this maybe sticks for a time and then it no longer sticks mm. and then they go oh i don't really like that anymore i'm tired of that mm. you know so i'm going to go try something else and that's what pornography's like it's like a buffet you know of food if you will but just sexual content and you know people and, and, and so if we say to people oh like you know what is your will for your sexual desire you know a lot of people are like well for right now i guess it's you know the strawberry sundae or it's the the meatloaf or Mm -hmm. it's this you know Uh, but it could change Mm. and that's why the 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 world uses that word fluid Mm -hmm. right yeah because which was ironically uh sort of out of the question maybe even a decade ago yeah um where no it's not fluid this is this is an innate immutable this is who I am. This is how I identify. If it's fluid, then that means it's more of a matter of taste and choice. That's right. And now it's becoming more acceptable to say, well, yeah, it's a little bit of both. It's it's somewhat innate that I'm yeah. not cis and hetero. Right. I'm fluid outside of that. <laughs> right, right, right. And now you have all kinds of, you know, why do genders keep increasing and why do sexual appetites keep increasing, mm-hmm. meaning like, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, and the, the words keep being yeah. expanded and made up. It's because be- sexualities are like noses. Yeah. Everyone has that's one. That's right, <laughs> right. We just keep going, you know, and, that, and that's what the problem is, is, you know, it, it, it's not God's will for sexuality. It's your will. And so if it's your will, how many people are on the planet? Seven billion. Mm-hmm. So then you got seven billion wills, you know, and so how many, if you want to use gender fluidity or sex fluidity you know how many potential genders or sex fluidities do you got seven billion Hmm. because you have seven billion wills and so anything that wills is going to have their own thoughts Hmm. you know they're going to go to that buffet at vegas and each is going to kind of partake of something a little different Hmm. you know some of it's going to be the same some of it's going to be different so the jesus way is stopping at the buffet and going wait a minute I know what I want, but what does God want? What is God's 
actual purpose and plan yeah. for the human body when it comes to approaching the buffet. Yeah, I know, and and that's that's the big thing. So I think, I think that having uh, a desire just to ask the question, a willingness just to ask the question, mm. what is God's will, is kind of big. Mm. It's big in a person's life. It means something is maybe they're they're no longer working on self. You know, they're not becoming self-reliant anymore. They're they're learning that man. When I trust myself, something goes a little yeah. astray, and so now we look at God's uh, will and it says that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Um, so yeah, you said it pretty clearly and that is it's not something hard in the sense of uh, hard to understand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, God desires for us to be sanctified and the idea there is to be set apart yeah to be sanctification is the process by which we are made holy and holy simply means being set apart for god's use yes and that's what some, when something is holy it means it's being set apart for a divine purpose yeah so you think of like you know maybe you know and, and the bible's like interesting in that paul talked about members your members mm. and it's interesting because he uses members it, he, even talking about private parts, you know, the, pr the, the members of your body that are private, he mm. says. It, it's not that they're not important, mm. you know. Um, they're of utter value, he says, mm. right, of most value. And you're talking about the you place know. where he says, shall I then unite the members of my body with a prostitute? May it never be. Yeah, that's in 1 Corinthians 6. Mm. Uh, I was specifically talking about the part where he's talking about kind of the gifts of the Spirit, mm. that all the members of the body are important. But he says, just as the members of your body oh, right, are yeah. important, right? And he says, you don't, you know, just because something seems mm. insignificant because it's not out in the open, doesn't mean it's not, it's not important yeah it's he, not important first corinthians 12 he's using the physical body as an analogy to show that yeah you can't take your hand and your hand can't say to the eye going i don't need you anymore <laughs> right and the the most uh publicly shown like mouths uh, I, uh members should not be elevated above and beyond is more important than the ones that are hidden and seemingly insignificant and uh, that's a very, I never drew the two uh, to, to make a connection, though. Of the private yeah. part. Yeah. Never, never even occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he, he does these kind of things. And he uses this term members. If I remember, he's also using this in the book of um, uh, Romans. I wanted to say it was maybe chapter 6 that he talks about this as well. Um, not using our, yeah, he says, um, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not offer, this version says, the parts of your body to sin or your members, your in, mm -hmm. the instruments of your body to sin. Um, it says, uh, yeah, he goes as, on to say, as instruments of wickedness. How can, how, how can I, who have died to sin, still live in it? Right. And mm -hmm. so he talks a lot about these uh, these ideas of, you know, giving our our bodies and our parts and our members over to God. Mm. And this is a really cool concept that I know Running Light loves to talk about, and that is, you know, do I bring my, if you will, my, you know, quote, private parts, you know, before the Lord? Is that something, and, and is that something that's common in the Christian? 
where we say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you all of my members, hmm. all of my parts as instruments uh, of righteousness, hmm. you know, rightness, you know, setting it apart to you, you know, setting it apart for you, not setting apart for my own hmm. thing. Easier said than done. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, absolutely. As with any human desire that conflicts yep. with God's purpose and plan. That's right. You know, are, are you going to do it perfectly? Mm. Absolutely not on the planet. And that's why <laughs> sanctification typically is communicated as a process. Um, we don't become overnight sinless, but we should sin less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we want to. We And that's, that's the desire, is mm. to sin less. You know, do we sin less? Um, I sometimes debate that, you know, whether we actually sin less in our lives, mm. um, because I tend to think that, uh, or maybe, let me say this way, it'd be nice that we don't volitionally, maybe we volitionally sin less. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you define sin. Yeah. Sin, is it the willful, rebellious disobedience of yeah. God's known will? Like, right. I know, I know, I'm going to, you know what, be quiet, I don't want to talk to my, I don't want to listen to my conscience, the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth, God's word, versus human frailty and, and imperfection yeah. and immaturity. Right. That's why the word, I like how some translations don't use the word perfect. They say mature. Mature. Like a mature believer, because that's really yeah. what the word means. Yeah. Because, you know, you do, you do realize that, you know, you are a chief of sinner as you get mm -hmm. older, you know, yeah. in the faith. Um, but you realize that more is like, God, I'm just, you realize just how far you are from the mm. perfect, the perfect Jesus. Mm. Um, you know, but we definitely, I think, want to be very cognitive and aware as we mature in Christ, where when we do sin, we're very cognitive of it. You know, when we volitionally sin, mm. when we volitionally rebel against God. We know God says, use your members, uh, you know, separate that to God. And we go, nope, mm. I'm going to be porn. I'm going to masturbate, whatever we do. You know, we, a mature Christian will go, you know what? That's a sin. Mm. And that was wrong. What's, the, you know, you have this call. This is God's will, your sanctification. I love, I mean, it's, it's really profound that he states it that way. He didn't just say, don't do sexually immoral things. <laughs> this is God's will for you. This yeah. is like... Here's why you should abstain from sexual morality. He's giving the why, not just the what. Yeah. God's will is for you to be conformed to the image of his son. That is what's saying to be more like Jesus. Yeah. Therefore, and this is real important, do not pornea. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid pornea. Yeah. And whatever that word encompasses, which is pretty much everything outside of the pure marriage bed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whether it's, it's a big thought word. or deed, <laughs> yeah, or, or in sight. <laughs> that's right. It's a huge word. It's a, it's a, it, it, you know. And I love how you put that because it, what Paul's sharing about Messiah is that Messiah's will is that we are like Jesus, mm. and and that is a perfect ideal, uh, and and that's the beauty of Christianity is. We are shooting for the ideal. Mm. We are, we're not, our, our um, if you will, our God is not, there's no lack in our God. There's no um, sin at all. And so when we are wanting to be like God, it, it's only up. You know, mm. we can only go up. 
I mean, you know, because our God is a perfect being, and which is great because, you know, it's like, you know, you don't, when you're teaching your kid how to throw a baseball and you want to give them lessons, you don't go to someone worse than you. You know, if you're the dad, you don't go to someone who can't, like, throws way worse than you, and you go, hey, I'm going to pay you some money to teach my kid how to throw. Like, why would you do that? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. He's not as good, you know. You're better. You know, you're a better teacher, mm. and, and you can, you have a better uh, a pitching uh, technique, you know, so your son can learn the right way and not throw out his arm when he gets older mm. and need, you know, Tommy John surgery or something. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So it's like our God is the perfect, you know, and that's, and that's, um, that's awesome. It's, it's daunting, absolutely. Mm. But, you know, Paul reminds us that this is the will of God. This is the future hope that we have. Mm. Um, it is, uh, it, it is a, a, a present tense grace, you know, but it's a future hope ultimate hope yeah it is a future now and that then to come (laughs) yes and i like you know so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor uses that word sanctification again and honor not with lustful desires like the gentiles who don't know god Mm. so there's a contrast contrast of this is what it means to know god and, and follow his will and this is what not knowing god looks like the yes. opposite of that yeah hmm. yeah and it's it, it's cool because it's it makes us as christians you know go hey you know there is a way for us to kind of decipher you know if we're doing the right thing you know are we doing hmm. with our sexuality what everybody else is doing and and i've always thought of it this way too is like there should be a difference in my sex as a christian than an, than say an atheist hmm. And even though it might not look different, and this is what I try to explain, is it might not look physically different, you know, but there should definitely be a difference. Hmm. Um, Meaning there should be something going on in Christian's husband and wife's heart, mind, Hmm. during sex that is different from the atheist. I love what you said to my wife and I when we were doing our premarital counseling with you. <clears throat> you had you had touched on some of these issues, and uh, and you said, "Have you ever looked at when when you soon to come when you uh, engage in marital intimacy as a married couple? <clears throat> what uh, have you ever? Th- I think the way you worded it was, "Have you ever thought of sex as a way of worshiping God?" And I was just so profoundly impacted by that in that God created it he put a purpose around it he put boundaries around it and he said you know this is what brings a man and a woman together in a very holy union the only thing that we get to experience in life that was prescribed and given by God prior to the fall of all humanity so that's like the one thing that we have today you know the garden's gone Eternal life is gone. Everything's gone. We don't get to walk with God in the cool of the garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but marriage, we got to keep that. And when you ask us that question, have you ever thought of the marital intimacy as a form of ex- expressive worship and, and love for God that thank you? Like, a, I guess you could say worship is acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over something, his creation of something, his, his lordship over something, mm-hmm. uh, his grace and gift in something. So all those recognitions 
or forms of, of mental worship, I guess you could say, was how I was processing that question. But do you remember asking us yes, that? Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, gosh, I just, I still can't get over that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and uh, you know, that's a life changer. And it's, we're, it's different from the pagans, you know, where we don't go to, a, like the pagan world would go up to, uh, a fertility, uh, a high place, and worship a fertility god or goddess, and they would have sex in uh, kind of uh, as a worship uh, of the deity, mm-hmm. and the deity was like them, and that's not what Christian uh, Christians are doing in sex. You know what we're doing is we are appreciating the creative work of God mm-hmm. and what this union represents about. God and God's relationship with us. Mm. Well, I liked, uh, I, I can't remember who I heard say it, but the old English marriage uh, ceremony, you know, when I, I take you and you take, you know, that whole ceremony, yeah. the word worship was used. The idea that uh, you alone are worthy and that the spouses were, in a sense, not worshiping each other, but they were in the sense that you alone are worthy to partake in something that no other being anywhere can partake in in this manner. Right. Uh, you alone are worthy, and so I. They would say I worship you. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not that our God requires like the the pagan world, you know, would require you to do this, you know. Um, that's not what God requires. He doesn't require us to have intimacy, you know, to love him, mm-hmm. you know. So we don't, we don't go into a, a prostitute and go like, oh, you know, we're worshiping the Lord. Yeah, you right. Know, because that he, is the pagan way, yeah. Th- yeah, it's, it's different from that entirely. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's important. It's a great passage because for people out there that go, man, I wonder what, God's will is for my sexuality, it's really clear. You know, God desires that you give your members over to the Lord and, um, and that you work on that. That's something that you do daily uh, in your life, and maybe that can be a part of your prayer life. So just start, start it there in your prayer life. Sounds good. I like that. And I, I would love to next time uh, cover the next part. Yeah. This, he says this means... Mm-hmm. And uh, what he says next blows my mind. Yeah. Because he's now sort of culturally pointing to almost, in a broad sense, let me give you some examples of what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll do that next time on the podcast. Awesome. So thanks. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Right on. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.